healthcare system is broken, but it doesn't have to be. This is Revenue Cycle Optimized by Infinix Healthcare. We discuss the latest challenges in the revenue cycle space and provide actionable tips on how to overcome them at your organization. Welcome to this week's Office Hours. I am Kate Tingley, Director of Marketing here at Infinix, and am thrilled to be joined by our VP of Strategic Accounts, Bo Bowman, this week. Bo has many years of experience in revenue cycle, medical billing, so brings a lot of knowledge to the table. And we're going to focus on contract negotiations. So welcome, Bo. Hello, afternoon. All right. So let's jump right in. Contract negotiations are tough for a lot of practices. Um, Tough and something that I think um, can seem intimidating, overwhelming, um, and tough to kind of know where to start. Yeah. So why don't you kick us off and let's talk about what the biggest challenges are that you see clients having um, in terms of contract negotiations. You know, I've worked in kind of two arenas in physician practice administration and kind of hospital reimbursement and, and payer reimbursement. And, you know, there's kind of three, I was thinking about just kind of what would be best for the audience today, hopefully. And there's just kind of three things we focus on. It's, it's size, geography, and scope. So, you know, size wise, if you are a large specialty group um, and you're you know, renegotiating a contract, You don't necessarily, you would just immediately think that you have advantages that maybe a smaller two or three person medical group may have. And uh, years ago, that was probably the case. But, you know, one of the biggest challenges there are now is if if for some reason you were to change your tax ID or to start a new location and a new practice, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the rates on the contracts that you started for your group either a year ago, two years ago, or whatever. So there's some logistics to think about as a group tries to expand. And that's oftentimes when we move into the contracting space, right? When a group is either going to expand or uh, maybe start a new branch of themselves or uh, maybe consolidate in some fashion. So challenge there is, um, is number one size, you know, try and figure out how to Um, have the most advantageous number of providers in your group. Um, And, and, you know, a good way to do that is to consistently run on a regular basis, you know, what your volumes are in the shape of CPT codes um, and ultimately what you're going to be billing by payer and and just stay cognizant of of your size and what's most advantage, you know, for, for the specialty you're in. The next one I put was geography, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield is, is real big on providing specific rates within specific areas. Enhanced Revenue Solutions by Infinix is in Texas. So we talk quite a bit about Blue Cross Blue Shield, germane to your area or then rest of Texas. And sometimes the rates can vary um, by where you are. So again, um, if a group is in uh, expansion, consolidation, or just looking to improve their reimbursement uh, for each clinical episode they provide, it does make sense to, to be very aware uh, of where you're going to be located. And, you know, that's a tough one too, because being in the, the centric uh, area of a big medical center, does that likely bring you better rates from a contracting perspective? Uh, typically it does, because um, it's an area where there are a lot of services that are representative. 
But in today's market with expanding, I guess, strategies on how to set up either your primary care or specialty practice, or maybe even your ambulatory surgery center, you see new medical facilities pushing further and further out from uh, the large medical center, traditional home, um, you know, into the more suburbia areas and, and even new parts of town. So sometimes from a contracting perspective, um, that may not be as advantageous if you're truly not connected you know, to a larger entity. So again, something to think about on geography. And then lastly, I just put scope, you know, a group with a large range of services, maybe a large um, gastroenterology group or similar that does, you know, the, the full breadth of services and has multiple uh, surgery centers or similar uh, labs, you know, they're going to have a, a better time at the contracting table and getting the highest rates um, because they're bringing in payers from uh, patients and payers from, from maybe all over a, a region and they're negotiating as a one single large group versus, you know, maybe a, a two-man GI practice on the edge of town. So just, again, real important to think about, do we just have, say, 20 or 30 codes that we bill for in our office? And, and if so, where is that going to lead us and, you know, what kind of rates we could potentially get versus, you know, if we were in a consolidation model, or if we were a branch, you see this quite often in the dental um, industry, you know, if we were a branch of a larger entity, you know, will that provide us economies of scale and scope uh, to have higher rates? So again, just something to, to think about there. But, but those are, you know, those are all complex challenges. Nothing I just said there, you know, has a yes or no answer, but must be um, tactically and, and thoughtfully, you know, thought through as as the group uh, tries to expand or, or maintain its revenue. What are you seeing in terms of impact on core negotiating for practices? You know, I was thinking about that one too earlier and, and kind of discussing it with some colleagues online. And we came up with a few things that really, really all lead to lower reimbursement at the end of the day. Right. You know, poor negotiating right. ultimately leads to lower reimbursement. That's not a, a surprise. But, you know, yeah. first off, again, kind of back to scope. So, fewer covered services, right? If, if, you're, if you're negotiating either with a payer um, or maybe you've moved into a value-based entity or situation, there's one thing you want to do is if your practice, you know, covers, you know, I'm thinking of either maybe a large PCP group that has, you know, women's services, dermatology, all types of other things. If your practice does all of those things, well, then that needs to be represented in the contract, Right. And then uh, maybe on the other hand, if you're a, a large procedural group, orthopedics, cardiology, GI or otherwise, you also need to, you know, as you're moving through, show the full breadth of your CPT code to show everything you do. So as you uh, select the payer you're going to negotiate with, um, you don't potentially want uh, a contract with a payer that's only going to cover, you know, half of the codes that you potentially can bill out for. Right. That's a not worth your time. And so that could happen, right? That could happen in some of the smaller uh, payer plans. I call them regional uh, plans that we see either locally or, or to a particular market. And so you've got to weigh that you know, value proposition if it makes sense for your practice. But again, fewer covered services. I put lower volume of a particular payer. You know, again, if it's a small plan and then you know, they're covering a, maybe an employed plan for you know, a, a one that I've had to deal with in the past is Tyson Chicken or, you know, a State Farm or a Mutual of Omaha. Those are all yeah. great employers. And oftentimes they negotiate a very narrow network. And so that lowers your, 
irate and, and, you know, arguably you get into trouble there when you start seeing those patients because what you're bringing in doesn't cover your costs. So those are some of the pitfalls of, of a bad negotiation. What about how often providers should negotiate their contracts? I feel like in my experience, I've heard a lot of folks just say, it's not worth it. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it as is. It's not worth taking the time and energy. I'm not going to get any more reimbursement. But what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, there's some truth in that. I think it's very important. I've I've seen groups go ahead and um, split up and, and three go this way and three go that way and, and, and three, you know, move across state. And then they all catch up with each other a year later and they say, how's it going? And um, they explain, well, if we still would have been together, our contracts would have been a lot better and we'd be making, you know, more money per episode. So I, I think it's important to focus again on if you're going to have an event in the group, an expansion event, a consolidation event. It's time to take a pause and look where you are on your contracts and look what your uh, reimbursement ultimately is. If it's above the Medicare rate, that's wonderful how, how high it is and what's, what codes does it cover? And, and do you have good relationships with the representatives of the you know, five or six major payers? I think those are all um, important things. And then you know, as for either a, a review or a renegotiation, again, kind of hard to put a, a, a recipe or a uh, a right. formula on that because each payer is so different. You may have rates from your 2015 contract that would, would be much better than your 2023 contract. So again, I'd highly recommend you know using a contract specialist or a consultant um, to review those with you. These are often these people are out there. They exist. If not, you can contact our group and we can connect you with one. But uh, it, important oftentimes to just understand where you are before you jump onto something else. Good advice. You mentioned value-based care. Yeah. What are you seeing in terms of those value-based care contracts and, and what the impact is around them? You know, it's funny. We used to say, well, value-based care is the future. Well, right. <laughs> the future is here and it's, it's been it here a while. I've spent the bulk of my career in Central and South Texas, where United Healthcare has a, a large value-based um, medical group under the WellMed flag, and that model works great in, in many instances. As you continue to uh, you know, try and grow and expand your services as a medical practice, you don't have a, a real choice anymore. Um, you need to uh, align with, with the value-based care uh, quality metrics and ensure your practice has really the, the competency to perform um, and to manage each patient's you know, health and, and health expectations per how that plan is set up. So there's a lot of opinions out there about value-based care. I don't want to get into that uh, today, but my overall advice is you're not going to have any choice in the future. You're likely um, going to be involved and, and have to negotiate yourself into those contracts in some cases. And you know, that's where tracking everything you do through your EMR and that the logistics of how you run your practice is very, very important. And a lot of the practices we talk about, they say they get concerned about taking on, you know, either acute or patients that are going to need lots of attention in the value-based model. And I think there needs to be a lot of discussion still there at, at national and state levels on with payers on how that works, because, you know, we are you know, just getting over a pandemic here where patients are um, now presenting with either some unusual or more acute problems than maybe that they've had in the past, either due to um, symptoms they experienced during the pandemic or otherwise. And so, you know, fee-for-service will, will always have some place, but there's no doubt value-based is the future and will continue to be. And so 
Um, really, as a medical practice community, we have to work with providers at the, both the revenue side and the expense side on um, how to be the most successful uh, in that space. Any thoughts around what providers should be considering both in a fee-for-service model and a value-based care model for their contract? Kind of back to the ge- yeah, kind of back to the geography question. Where are yeah. you? Where, where are you located? What's around you? Um, you know, if you're in the, the southern areas of Florida and Arizona and Texas and popular retirement areas, then you're going to find yourselves in, you know, high uh, utilization value-based care models. So again, it's, it's going to be how you train your providers and, and how you work with them and explain, you know, hey, in the past, you know, we may be able to increase our revenue by seeing three or four extra patients a day and under the value-based care or quality um, utilization model, that, that's obviously not the case. You know, you can, right. you can continue to do very well, you know, seeing 13 or 14 or 15 patients a day in the primary care world or on the cardiology or, or GI or ortho side, you know, managing the predisposed uh, symptoms that a patient may have that will eventually lead to a procedure in the way the payer asks those to be managed. So again, I'd, I'd love to say we have a lot of choices, but when it comes to value-based care, it's at this point, it's it's learning how to you know make sure the uh, the utilization in your practice is appropriate, but at the same time, value and revenue centric uh, to ensure you're maximizing everything you possibly can for that patient on that plan. So, again, a little bit more complex than I'm making it sound, but uh, a discipline that many practices are having to to polish these days. Right. So I'm sure this is the question most folks are, are most interested in. What tips do you have around negotiating the best rates and making sure your contracts are at the highest reimbursement? Yeah, a couple of things. I'd say work on expanding your services. I think the more you can show the payer um, how you're expanding your services, whether that's through you know, joining a larger group or whether that's expanding your own group or whether that's taking on uh, providers within your group that bring on uh, new sets and new tiers of, of CPT codes and visit codes to, you know, ultimately ask for payment through the payer models that they're set up for. That's an opportunity when a negotiation comes up, right? You can sit with the payer rep for that particular plan and say, well, the last time we talked was whatever, you know, date, and this is the type of practice we were, and this is what we're offering. Now we're offering X, Y, and Z. Well, that payer may know of a subset of patients that have, may have that chronic disease or that chronic illness. And now here as a practice, you're providing those services. It gives you an opportunity for a little bit of leverage. So again, expanding your scope of services is important. Um, expanding your geography, you know, kind of staying on the same theme. Um, we, you know, if we're, a, if we're an orthopedic practice and we have a couple of locations, in one part of the state and we expand to another part of the state or maybe out of state and we're involved in some type of maybe management service model um, where we share overhead but have a larger patient base under a single tax ID, that's going to bring you leverage to get potentially get a higher rate with a payer um, as you come back to the negotiating table. When do you recommend, and we talked about this a little bit, but when do you recommend engaging a partner? When is it time to say, I need some help around. You know, I think there's, I think there's a a few ways to look at that, right? We've, we've got nurse practitioners and and PAs and doctors coming out of training as we Mm -hmm. speak, right? There's a a new intelligent crop of 
of providers coming out of the, the academic and, and preceptor and medical internship of their careers. And so, you know, it's a little bit like getting your first credit card, right? You want to you want to have a good credit score and have the ability to, you know, to be able to practice and function. So when when you're either opening that practice or, you know, maybe, you know, trying to partner up with, with somebody that's a middle careerist and a late careerist, it's important to understand, am I walking into a practice where the work I'm going to do has a valuable uh, commodity rate associated with it? And so, you know, at that point, it's time to look for expertise. Um, and so uh, that to me, that's the time, you know, that you reach out, whether it's through consultancy, whether it's through a contract expert, you know, expert person, or whether it's through a revenue cycle management company, or even an attorney. Um, in some cases, I think that's the time we do it. I think the other you know, timing piece of all of that is, you know, when do we bring a partner along? You know, oftentimes groups are uh, find themselves in consolidations or they find themselves in expansions and where they're not going to necessarily hold the reins um, anymore in a contracting perspective. So, again, I think appropriate representation is important um, for either you as a provider or you as a group as you may be going forward. And again, looking out for am I signing up for something? Um, that is better than what I have now. And if it's not, why not? And that's a good time to engage uh, a contract expert that, that understands, you know, kind of where we are in, in today's geography of, of medical reimbursement. Right. I think there's also value in a contract specialist sees lots of different contracts. So they've got a lot more visibility than the provider mm-hmm. group necessarily has. Um, so they can, you know, help, um, educate on trends, what they're seeing in terms of payer behavior versus, you know, kind of going in blind without any of that intelligence. Agreed. Agreed. So. I think the wider scope that you can affiliate with, the better, right? Again, um, the more scope of service you have, the larger geography you have, uh, the more you're going to get the payer's attention. So, you know, regardless if you're a large hospital system and you're negotiating your rates for associated clinics or physician enterprises that may be attached to your overall service methodology, you know, kind of it's, it's not that much different than if you're a smaller group, right? You want to be able to show, hey, we've got scope of service, we've got geography, and we've got the size. So, you know, focusing on those three is important. Great. I want to give folks on the call a chance to ask some questions. So if you want to drop your questions in the either the chat or the Q&A, we'll start to answer those. All right. So first question, um, when is it time during the contract negotiation phase to say, this really isn't worth staying in network? I'm actually better off going out of network. And that might be a whole can of words there, but yeah, um, you know, we get that con- we get that question a lot. We get that question a lot. Um, oftentimes, I mention some of the smaller payers, and so oftentimes, what we'll do is is run a CPT code analysis for a particular group, and we'll show them, you know, here's the potential out of network rates that you'll get from this payer. And at the end of the day, if those out of network rates, if you find those satisfactory, and and you feel like it'll, you know, at least cover the overhead of your practice, or or maintain a patient population that you think is valuable to maintain, then I would say it's worth it. If you look at what you may get paid out of network and it truly ends up being kind of a self-pay effort and the, the burden is on the ultimately on the patient, 
um, then, you know, it may not be the best fit for your practice. But again, a, a, a true revenue analysis on, on what you may get paid at is not a network provider and walking through what that may look like uh, on a monthly and annual basis is a great place to start to try and understand that equation. Great. Uh, we've got another question. Hi, I work for orthopedic surgeons in Nevada. Have you had any success in negotiating better fee schedules with Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield? Um, so, you know, as a revenue cycle management company, we try and stay pretty neutral, but yeah. I do have friends in the industry that have done those things. And I've participated in those types of negotiations in, in former lives. You know, again, I would, I would probably, uh, you know, stay along the same advice when you're going to the table with very large payers like that. The concept is again, to show, Hey, I'm in an area where either, you know, three things are going to change scope of service, geography, or covered services. Right. And so if this particular orthopedic practice is in, you know, in Nevada, wherever it may be, Nevada is a fastly growing state. I think at one point, Las Vegas was the fastest growing city, you know, then, you know, those are some of the pain points that, you know, you want to hit on with, with whatever large payer you may be, you know, negotiating with that. Yes, right now we, you know, we have X amount of patients or X amount of lives that we potentially pull from for orthopedic care. Um, and five years from now, we'll have this many. Um, so again, the payer has to take some of that into consideration. Another thing to think about is if there's another 500 orthopedic surgeons around you, well, then, you know, that's also probably not the best for your negotiating tactic if, if they're all going to that plan at the same time. So again, carefully thinking through kind of some of these themes we've talked about are, are good tactics to either maintain the rate you have or explain why, you know, you're the preferred provider, you know, based on your quality and, and based on what your surgeons can do. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. They're in Vegas. So uh, it's a good place to be if you're in, in healthcare. Right. It's a good place right. to be. <laughs> exactly. Um, we have a comment. Uh, it seems that more and more payers are limiting out of network benefits uh, like HMOs. You've seen that as well. We have been seeing that and, you know, unfortunately, the patient loses in that one. You know, I think that's something that you know needs to be discussed uh, more in some of our lobbying uh, circles, and whether that's AMA or you know American College of Physicians or whatever that looks like, we've got to kind of figure that out. Um, especially again after the pandemic, um, we saw a lot of people you know leave their jobs, and we see a lot of people uh, that don't have insurance that used to have insurance, and now they're signing up for more narrow network plans that aren't providing as much services. And so, again, I would say at the end of the day, it's it's probably better to be in network than it is out of network, right? Because it'll at least coverage, you know, uh, it'll grow your patient population. And, and I would say to that, you can always exit a contract, right? There's no, there's no problem with exiting a contract. And, and oftentimes you can get six months into it and think you signed up for X and you're getting Y. Well, at that point, you can make that, you can have that discussion and go out of network and, you know, have that discussion with the payer rep. So it's a little bit uh, chicken and egg, but uh, I still think it's an important opportunity. It's unfortunate that we're seeing out of network benefits narrowed, but again, that is the journey to value-based care, right? In the grand right. scheme of things, the five or six major payers want us to participate in health plans where we're also taking care of ourselves and, and, and taking healthy steps um, to ensure our utilization is where it needs to be for our place in life. 
Another question here. Um, what do you think the most important provision is in insurance contracts to try to negotiate or get removed? The most important provision for me, again, it is, you know, scope of services. You know, they're going to look at your evaluation and management codes. They're going to look at your procedural codes. And so, you know, you can look at term, how long your, your contract is. You can look at what is in network, what's considered in network, and what's considered out of network. You can look at as a new patient population arrives, you know, will you have the opportunity within the contract that you're signing up for to provide those services kind of back to scope. But again, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's ultimately about, you know, what you're going to get reimbursed of relative to the Medicare allowable for that tranche of CPT codes. However, the payer may be putting those together. So, you know, for me, it becomes a financial analysis on each contract. And you want to make sure that is the, I don't know, what do we want to call it? Lead dog of provision in the contract. Great. I don't see any more questions, but as we get ready to wrap up today, what's your call to action for those that are on the call? You know, for whether it's administrators or finance folks or, um, you know, other contract professionals, I would say it's, it's education, right? I think a lot of us get so busy uh, during the day, uh, me included and, and, and all of us, that there needs to be either somebody in the practice or somebody in your team. And again, whether that's the, the CPA or the, the, the medical group administrator or, you know, whether it's your neighbor down the street who just, you know, happens to work in, in finance or something, but somebody yeah. that's paying attention to what's coming out, you know, whether that's federal legislation and we're talking about the highest level of, of CMS and, and what's, you know, coming around the corner in the form of sequestration and, you know, physician service payment cuts. Uh, I think somebody needs to, you know, you need to be paying attention to that. And um, then the other big kind of piece in education is, is listen, the commercial payers, e- either now, months from now, weeks from now, years from now, they're going to fall in line eventually and, and follow the patterns um, of what CMS is pushing out for their governmental and, and Medicare Advantage plans. And so, you know, eventually Blue Cross Blue Shield, Humana, Aetna, Cigna, United, they're, you know, they're going to line up. And so if, if the governmental plans are a big thing in cardiology right now are a big thing in services is, is initial consults and, and uh, follow-up consulting services are now not being reimbursed. So, you know, there's going to be a trend of something like that going forward. And so I think education is very, very important. So, you know, I know what we all have, whatever it is, another 50 or 100 or 1,000 emails to get through the day, but you need to put on your calendar 15 minutes or 20 minutes once a week or twice a week or something and spend, you know, that time educating yourself about what's going on and what's out there. And whether that's reading Becker's or reading HFMA or reading MGMA or, you know, reading some of the uh, the lobbyist websites to really understand what's going on at the, at the highest levels. And that's, again, not to, you don't want to, you're not necessarily trying to be the smartest person in the room, but just be informed. Um, so when you're representing your group or when you're sitting down with your physician partners, um, you guys can have an educated conversation uh, about, hey, here's what we need to do. Here are the trends we're seeing. And if that's, again, reaching out to a medical clinical utilization expert to have a look at, you know, how the type of care you guys are providing and ultimately what that equals in reimbursement. And if you're able to step up that level of care and whatever that looks like to increase your reimbursement, then those are, you know, those are discussions you need to have. But uh, education is no doubt the key. 
All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining. Thank you, Bo. Lots of really, really, really good information as usual. Um, We hope to see everybody back here next week. Thanks, Ken. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to get notified when our next episode is online. For more information for how we can help you increase reimbursements at your company, check out our website at infinix.com. That's I-N-F-I-N-X dot com.